welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today. Before we get started with our amazing guests, I'd just like to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms such as iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, all the ones that are out there, we're there. So please make sure that you are following the podcast because we have so many amazing guests, just like today's guest, who are coming up in the next few months. You don't want to miss out any single thing. Along those same lines, be sure to look us up and interact with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So it would be great to have you following us there. I do want to say a special thank you to all of you who have been listening and supporting the podcast for the past several months that we have been on the air. It was recently named one of the top Christian fiction podcasts to listen to in 2021. So thank you to all of you for making Christian Historical Fiction Talk the success that it has become. We have a wonderful guest with us today. When I turn it over to her in just a minute, I'll have her introduce herself a little bit. But she is a lovely person to speak with. She's been writing since the age of seven. She's a history buff and a very talented lady. She has a brand new book that just hit the market. It's called Tidewater Bride, and it's a fabulous read. If you love history, all things historical, especially American history, you are sure to enjoy this book. Please help me in welcoming Laura France to the show today. Welcome, Laura. Oh, I'm so delighted to be with you. I enjoy podcasts so much, so it's always fun to to uh, be a guest. Thank you. Well, why don't we start off with you introducing yourself to the listeners a little bit? Okay, I'm a Kentuckian who's currently, you know, ex- weathering COVID out on the West Coast, my hu- where my husband is from. We sometimes go back and forth, but I've been out west for a while, and we live at the Gateway of Olympic National Park, which is quite remote, and it's nice because we don't have a lot of pandemic cases here. But anyway, I've been writing since the age of seven. I fell in love with reading. My mother is a was a reading teacher of many years, and so we had books in the house constantly. We lived in a very historic part of Kentucky. We were constantly traveling and visiting historic places and that you know was such an inspiration for me as a child to grow into the adult writer I am now. So that must be really beautiful out there at the entrance to Olympic National Park. That has to be spectacular. You know it is we're almost right at the gateway to the park at Lake Crescent Lake Crescent it's called and it spectacularly epic scenery it's it rains a lot it's quite cold so this southern girl's not always comfortable but <laughs> but I mean it's growing on me right I it, I've been married 26 years to this man so it's taken me about that long to really appreciate living living here why don't you tell us a little bit about your brand new release 
Tide Water Bride. I happen to be reading it right now and absolutely loving it. Oh, that's so nice to hear. You know, one never knows how a book will go down. But Tidewater Bride is my, I think it's my 12th historical novel. And isn't that terrible? I lose track. And it's not even that many books. I know people have written 100. I don't know how they keep track. But it's, Tidewater Bride is basically, I don't want to dumb it down too much, but it's it's kind of like the colonial American dating game. But it's about those tobacco brides that came over from England, which actually happened in colonial Virginia in the 17th century. And their story is truly a remarkable one. And so I, I use that as to tell this Tidewater Bride tale. And I also incorporated some of the history of Pocahontas, who has been a historical heroine of mine all my life. But I'm find I found as I was researching that much most of what I knew or had been taught about Pocahontas was not true. So I attempt to correct some of that in the novel and write her story, even though she's not a living, breathing character in the novel. But no spoilers. I won't go into any more depth than that. But I attempt to to write her history as truthfully as I can in Tidewater Bride using her own, the narrative of her, of her own people, the, the Powhatan people, her tribe. So it's it was an interesting book to write. It was a very challenging book to write because of the amount of research. My century of choice that I usually write in is the 18th century, the time our country was being founded, you know, all the movers and shakers of the colonial era like George Washington and, and frontiersmen like Daniel Boone. So it was interesting to step back a century into the, the time of Tidewater Bride when Jamestown was just founded. It had been almost a failure, and at the time the novel opens, had become a little more established thanks to the tobacco lords like my hero in the novel. So that's kind of in a nutshell, a long-winded nutshell. <laughs> I was so excited when I found out that you sort of used Pocahontas and her husband, John Rolfe, as a template for Tidewater Bride, because like you, Pocahontas has been a hero of mine since childhood. I read one of those little scholastic books that you used to be able to yes, buy at school. My favorite. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I just fell in love with her and I was so excited to see that Xander sort of mirrors John Rolfe and I won't give anything away either. Oh no, that's fine. That's fine. I'm so glad you brought that up because that the John Rolfe Pocahontas connection and their story as a couple was so fascinating to me and the Powhatan uh, history that I believe is the truth about them was was just amazing to write. And I love that you have a connection to Pocahontas too from childhood, like I did. It makes, I think it really makes the novel come more alive. Yes, it really does. And I could picture, we visited Williamsburg a few years ago and we stayed on the James River opposite Jamestown. 
and we had two house, two Airbnb houses to choose from, and one was what a property oh. that had once been owned by John Rolfe, but it wasn't available when we were there. Oh, oh like, my no! word! That's in, that actually gives me chills. I actually have chills hearing that. That is incredible because that ground where he was, I mean, he walked. You were on the ground where he walked and worked and um, where she was too. So amazing. It was really, really cool. I just, so yes, I'm just totally fangirling all about Pocahontas and John Rolfe as I'm reading this book. (laughs) Yes. Well, hopefully it will get better and better. You know, Pocahontas is not a happy story, Um, but I think it still doesn't overshadow the remarkable woman she was. All accounts of her, just, she was very bright she was very engaging. You know, she had a lively curiosity. I think one that was one thing that was said about her, you know, she just, I hope she comes to life on the page, even kind of in hindsight, because she was an amazing figure. When you think about all that she overcame, and then she even went to England and was presented before royalty. And the royal court was quite enamored with her. So you you know, you put all that together and it's just an amazing, she was, she was an amazing woman. I agree with you a hundred percent. I could gush about her all day long about her story. It truly is amazing. You say that your family has been in Kentucky since the 18th centuries. Oh, are you a big, obviously a big history buff, but are you a big genealogy buff too? Well, you know, since joining the Daughters of the American Revolution and finding I had at least one patriot in Virginia, I recently discovered what I think is a second patriot there. I am becoming more interested. I've always been fascinated with ancestry, other people's as well as my own. And now with the DAR, I mean, you have to unearth hundreds of years of records and that paper trail or, you know, just... It's just amazing. So it does, it either probably kills your appreciation for genealogy or <laughs> or sharpens it. And mine is sharpened, in fact, so much so that I don't want to get too far from Tidewater Bride, but my Scottish novel that I wrote was based on my Scottish history, the Hume history, and that my family's kept up with pretty, pretty fiercely as far as the genealogy being accurate. So. I am fascinated with my Scottish ancestry in particular, and the book that I'm writing right now to be released in January 2020, let's see, 23, is another Scottish novel based on my family history. So it's near and dear to me, and I'm, you know, it tells us all about where, who we are as Americans and where we came from, and I think it's it's good in a time of historical illiteracy that we keep track of things like that. And do you think that's why you're so interested in history, especially history dating back to the 18th century? I, I think I am because my family followed Daniel Boone. They came in after Boone. They didn't necessarily come in with Boone, although who's to say they didn't? I think they might have even known him because Kentucky was, you know, at one time Virginia mm-hmm. until it became a, its own, you know, state later on. Um, 
but I Kentucky was small. It wasn't an inhabited by too many people. And so I think my ancestors that settled in the hills of the very wild and woolly Jackson County probably knew Boone, who was down, you know, in the bluegrass area on the Kentucky River. I, I think they probably crossed paths. They certainly had heard of Boone. You know, they followed the very trail in out of Virginia that Boone had come in. Boone, you know, there's Boone Gap, Boone's Trail, different than the Wilderness Road. That's a totally different trail, different experience. But I do think my interest in history stems from my own people coming into Kentucky from Virginia, you know, before Kentucky achieved statehood. And we don't know as a family a lot about them. We know they were a fairly young couple that came out of Virginia. She actually owned two slaves that came into Kentucky with them. She was French. He was English. So we know their names. We know, you know, dates of the birth and, and death and immigration, sort of, so to speak, between the states, but we don't know a lot else, and that's sad to me. But they were so busy, these pioneer ancestors of ours, trying to survive. You know, they, they didn't leave much of a paper trail. Right. Going kind of back to Tidewater Bride, you usually write more around the Revolutionary War, the time the nation was being birthed. Why did you pick to write about Jamestown and the very early days of the American colonies? Well, I'll blame Pocahontas again. <laughs> she She's truly the inspiration for Tidewater Bride. But it was more than that. I had, I've been to Jamestown, Colonial Williamsburg, love, love both. They're very different, even though they're very close in proximity in Virginia. But um, I just, I, I was really horrified by James Smith and some of the major players in Jamestown in 1607 when they came over and attempted to start this new colony, this new endeavor, you know, after which they brought the Tobacco Brides, which is fascinating too. So I was pretty, uh, I found it abhorrent history really with these, these men who came with so many prejudices and preconceptions and tried to, you know, make a settlement. Now, not all these Jamestown founders were bad, but but many of them were not necessarily reputable people. And I tried to bring that into Tidewater Bride a little bit. We have all kinds of players in Jamestown at that early date. And it was a miracle. It survived. It would not have survived without food from the Indians and and help from various tribes in that region. It, it would have been wiped off the map. So it's a fascinating, tumultuous time period Ever, ever bit as much so as my usual American Revolutionary time period in the 18th century. Can you tell us a little bit more about these tobacco brides? Well, the tobacco brides, you know, we sadly don't know a lot about them. They are on the historical record, so we do know names. We know ages. We know locations of where they came from in England. But we don't know a lot else. Sadly, most of the tobacco brides, if not all of them, died once they got to the colony or had been here a few years. There were several major Indian uprisings, lots of killing. There was a horrible rampant disease. There was terrible water that people were poisoned from. 
it's just there was a lot of lead poisoning going on back then just you know pewter and and the use of a lot of that type thing that they were unaware was harmful so you have all these women you know they actually came over on boats to Jamestown earlier than the date in the novel but I had to set the novel at a later time 10 years or so after the tobacco brides had finished coming over there were a few waves of them the tobacco bride endeavor was a kind of a last ditch effort because Jamestown was so heavily male and and the men were leaving Jamestown often intermarrying with the Indians in Virginia to keep the men settled and part of the colony the powers that be in Jamestown and England decided to get these tobacco brides over there to marry, have children, and that would ground these men and possibly save this, this shrinking, disease-ridden, politically charged colony. Hope that makes sense. It does, very much so. The language of that time was so very different, even though they spoke English. It's so different than the English that we speak today. And you do a really beautiful job in the book of bringing out the differences in the language without making it difficult for the average reader to understand the book. How did you go about researching the language and understanding it and then translating that into your book? Oh, it's good to hear that it, it's not too off-putting. Archaic language is really difficult, and I probably, I don't, I know I didn't do it justice in Tidewater Pride. I mean, but it would be, as you alluded to, unreadable if I had written in that language of the 17th century. Nobody could plow through that very well. I, I was blessed to have studied a lot of that language in college, my major was centered on the 18th century, interesting literature, and even writings prior to that. So I have developed somewhat of an ear for it. That's God's gift to me. And just the thing that helped me most, I think, with Tidewater Bride, so you have that knowledge base from just your education, but what helped me most was reading documents of that time period, letters, I don't know if you remember, or you might not be there yet, John Rolfe's, I, I use an excerpt in the novel, pulled from John Rolfe's letter to the Jamestown Council about his desire to marry Pocahontas. It is one of the most poetic few sentences you'll ever read. He talks about his labyrinth of emotion for her and how he's she's basically wound herself around his heart. That language is so beautiful that reading as much as I can, including the works of John Smith, who was quite the rascal and rogue. <laughs> and a lot of what he wrote is just not true. It was, it's as much fiction as what we write. Right. But just, he had, he was a very gifted wordsmith. And if you spend any time with his writings, you will pick up, things that you can use. Another another thing that I used in is, is just Shakespeare. They were heavily influenced in that time period by Shakespeare. I majored basically in, in Shakespeare. And so a lot of Xander's aunt's epithets, so to speak, or just, you know, insults she uses are Shakespearean and are right grounded in that time period. People were made free with those. 
and they were kind of divided, uh, kind of provided a little bit of a humorous quirk to what is probably a pretty doggone serious, not you know, novel or narrative. Now, does the thrill of a new book ever get old? You mentioned this is probably your twelfth book or so. In, I mean, there's nothing like the very first one, but does it ever get? Does it ever get old? You know, it really doesn't. And I think it's because every book is so unique and every influencing team is different. You know, you're always blessed with new readers. You know, you get the inspiration is just God's gift, you know, for each novel that I write anyway. And I'm sure you probably say the same thing. It it just it makes it it keeps it fresh because the novels are different. You know, your the readership is often changing and things pop up during release or prior to release or after release like your lovely podcast this wasn't around before so it makes it just you know fresh and and interesting what books other than the bible inspire you oh wow i'm constantly reading I, there was a time in my writing career publishing career early on that i just I just abandoned reading because I was doing so much research. I didn't even have time for free reading. But now I've built it in in my evenings to give me a break from the screen. And I, I'm not an audio listener, sadly, though I think their audiobooks are amazing. I'm not an e-reader. I can't look at a Kindle and read. I have to, to have a book. I think to start way back at age seven were those little scholastic and there might have been other publishers, too, of those little historical biographies. Those have always been my favorite and just fed that love of history and, and taught me, gave me a, a foundation for writing historical novels, even at a, a young age. Books are the greatest teachers. I, I couldn't teach a class, though you do, on writing novels or characterization and things like your plotting. I, I never think of writing in those terms to me, it just writing just kind of it's intuitive, and I am almost certain that those books that I've read as a child became my writing teachers. And today, I'm inspired, you know, or challenged by you know someone like Francine Rivers. She doesn't think she's a master, but my, I think she's a master. Oh, Liz yeah. Curtis Higgs <laughs> is another one. Lori Benton, her frontier novels are amazing. I would say she writes more historical fiction, whereas I I write more historical romance. <laughs> I think she's, you know, there's a difference, if you think about it, between historical fiction and historical romance. Quite a difference, actually. But that's another discussion. Joanne Bischoff, uh, Christy Cameron, Liz Tolzma. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I could keep going. There's, and I'm, I always am reluctant to start uh, spouting names like I just did, because invariably I'll overlook many people. I will say one thing. Early on in my publishing career, I had written James Alexander Tom. He wrote Follow the River, which was a pioneer account of a woman in, uh, taken captive by Indians. And so James Tom was a major player in the general market for many years. He's much older now, but I wrote him a letter about his publishing career and he actually answered it. That was very inspiring to me because his novels are truly worth reading. 
Alan Eckert is another hero of mine. I think he was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in literature six, seven times. I actually met him at a Kentucky conference my first year as a writer. He actually wrote me a letter, and he had read The Frontiersman's Daughter, my debut novel. So he passed away not long after we met. He was probably in his 80s at that time. And I treasure James Alexander Tom and Alan Eckert because I think – if you're if you're looking for historical books that just are kind of mind-blowingly comprehensive about our history, look them up. Uh, they're not light reads, but I think it fostered my love of history and my appreciation for how deep you can go with a historical novel. Definitely going to go on the list with those. They sound amazing, and how cool that you were able to meet like one of your heroes and it's always so great when authors take time for their readers and it really can be inspiring to a young writer it was I just treasure and in fact I have his letters somewhere and I need to bring it close again you know one of the things about being a writer is way too much paper (laughs) and uh, somehow I've lost track of his letter but this inspires me to go hunt for that again because I've put it in a safe place I'm, I'm hoping So do you have any last words for the listeners? Well, I just, I always love finding new readers. That's such a joy to me. And word of mouth, as my publisher says, is really the best way to spread the word about edifying fiction. You know, we're in a real battle between light and dark. It's a spiritual battle, and it occurs in books, too. You know, if you spread the word about edifying fiction, God-honoring fiction, which is what I write, leave a review, you know, if it's gracious. Uh, Not a fan of bad reviews. I tend not to read my reviews. But, you know, just spread the word about our fiction and write reviews and contact the author and give them a reason to keep writing. I'm just so grateful for the readers God has put in my path. And other authors like you who have a heart for fellow authors and for shining light on fiction that is encouraging and full of hope. That's a huge, huge blessing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really have enjoyed having you with us. And best of everything, we will be looking for your new book coming out in about a year, you said, correct? Right, correct. January, look for four or five more January releases from me. I'm delighted to say thanks to Rubel. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. That's about all the time we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Don't forget to connect with us on your favorite podcasting platform and also on social media. If you would like to find out a little bit more about Laura and about her books, and especially Tidewater Bride, You can find that on the podcast website, which is christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com. I would also love it if you would check out my website, which is liztolsma.com, and there you can find out a little bit about my books and what I write. Join me next time when we take a look at some of the books you are most looking forward to reading coming up in 2021. I know some good ones have already released so far this year, but there are a whole bunch more coming out. 
Again, follow Christian Historical Fiction Talk on social media so that you have some input into this upcoming episode. I will be looking at what you are looking forward to and talking about what you have to say about 2021. Thanks so much again for joining me, and we will see you next time. 